Hello and welcome to Level Up with Shay. I am a comedian and lover of personal growth here to share stories on my level up journey to bring other fascinating and inspirational people to share their story and to help you realize your potential to fulfill your biggest dreams. I am so excited about today's guest, Lace Larrabee. Lace Larrabee is an Atlanta-based actor and nationally touring stand-up comedian. Lace was named 2018 Best Local Comedian by the readers of Creative Loafing Magazine. Lace has opened for comedy favorites such as Tig Notaro, Eliza Schlesinger, Dave Battelle, Nikki Glazer, Maria Bamford, and many more. Her comedy has been featured on Viceland, The Weather Channel, Fox Network, Epics, and The Game Show Network. Lace founded Atlanta's first and only all-female stand-up comedy class, Laugh Lab, at the legendary Punchline Comedy Club. I took that class back in 2021. It was co-ed and it was incredible. Atlanta Magazine voted Laugh Lab 2019 Best Comedy Class, so go check that out if you're in the Atlanta area. Lace and fellow Atlanta comedian Catherine Blanford co-host the hilariously healing podcast Cheaties, where they interview guests who have either been cheated on or been the cheater and I have been on the podcast so go take a listen to that episode this podcast focuses on the mistakes we all make in relationships and more importantly how we overcome them and make it out on top I met Lace within the first few months of living out in Atlanta and when I heard all the great things she was doing with her all-female comedy classes and then saw how funny and welcoming she was I knew I wanted to have her on so please welcome to level up with Shay Lace Larrabee. Welcome everybody to Level Up with Shay. I am here with the hilarious Lace Larrabee. Welcome. Yes, I am here with you, Shay. I'm so excited to ask you a bunch of questions. I took your stand-up class a couple yes, months you did. ago. Thank Lab. you for doing that, by the way, yes. because you were already so funny and talented. And to have people that are already like slightly bit established, like take class, it just, it means the absolute world. And you were so good. Thank you. Thank you. So um, yeah, that, that class is just great for just being comfortable uh, with being on stage and having a supportive group around you, a supportive teacher, TA, all of it. And I remember the, you know, we had our graduation show and then the, at, we went to that club afterwards. Yeah. Johnny's hideaway. Uh, Johnny's what do you mean that club? There we go. Johnny's hideaway. Thank Johnny's, you. The legend of Johnny's hideaway. <laughs> I guess so. That was oh. the first time that I was in there, but I just remember during that time we were talking a little bit and I think I just asked a question or maybe somebody else asked a question, one of the other students. And I wanted to ask you more questions. And I was like, we're in a club right now. <laughs> this is not the place for a mini podcast right now. So, so and was, listen, it would not be the first or last time that someone has tried to ask me comedy advice at Johnny's Hideaway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I'm glad I have you in a safe yeah. space in your home. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we have so much to get into because okay. I, Yes, I have so many questions. So I just want to start off in the beginning. When you were a kid, you were mm-hmm. in pageants. Not as a kid. Okay, not as a kid. Okay, after no. 13, right? After, after 13, 13, 14. Okay. Yeah, so started that's, at 13. Yeah. Okay, so teenage years, you were in pageants. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, 
what got you into that? What did you like about them? Mm -hmm. And also like, how did you improve them? How did you get to be good at them? This, uh, these are great questions, Shay. I, so let's, let's back up pre pre pageant years. So, and for any listeners who are like outside of Georgia, this not, might not make any sense, but I grew up all over the state. Okay. So there's a big difference between North Georgia, even middle Georgia, and then especially South Georgia. Right. So I grew up all over the state. We moved around from my mom's job when I I'd always loved performing, but never like in a professional sense, obviously as a kid, I was just like, you know, I'd make my own plays and make my family watch it. The <laughs> same story that every entertainer has, right? We yeah. put on in our family was like, ah, it's yeah. terrible. <laughs> um, but you know, they would be supportive, which was cool. And then when I was nine, there was a movie being filmed in the town that my grandma and everybody else lived in. And grandma called and she goes, There is a Julia Roberts movie being filmed down the road. And um, as a kid, I looked very Julia Robertsy because I just had a mouth. I was just a little <laughs> brunette kid with just a mouth, just a mouth from ear to ear. And none of my features had come in yet, like nothing else. And so everybody was like, you look like a little Julia Roberts. Um, I don't know, but that, listen, it's fine. <laughs> I've, I'm dealing with it. I'll get a good plastic surgeon and we'll fix that. But I, so she was like, you got to come down there asking for extras. And it was just one of those things where like, we were like, okay, let's do it. And we went me, my mom, my aunt, like over a course of like two weeks of them filming these big scenes where they needed a big audience. <laughs> we snuck in most of my family, my, me, my mom, my dad, my grandma, my grandpa, two of my aunts, one of my uncles, we all like snuck into this like every day. And my mom and I were the first ones to do it. We just showed up and at like 5.00 AM call time and we're checking in and they go, we don't have you on the list. And my mom's like, I should be on the list. <laughs> I should, you should have Ginger and Lace Larrabee on the list. We should be there. And if this gives you any idea of like, just how my future no. ended up going, okay. my mother. Yeah. So my mom's like, no, we're getting her into this movie. She's meeting Julie Roberts. This is what, this is it, right? We're going to, we're coming, we're, we're moving on up. And, uh, oh, and my parents had me when they were in high school. So my parents are super young. So at this time, my mom is like in her twenties. She's like 25 26 she would have been like 26 at the time all right oh. feisty as hell young you know and um they, they were just like okay we believe you ma'am and we filled out some extra paperwork and we were in and then we ended up filming for like almost two weeks as a family every day we'd bring another family member with us <laughs> so, oh my gosh so anyway I got the bug I loved it and then I started doing um those like model searches that they used to have at malls. I know you're, yep. you're very young. I don't know if you remember a mall, Shay. Uh, I, 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 I went to one of those. Did you? One oh, of the model yeah. searches? Oh yeah. Did you get far? You should, cause you're so tall. Uh, I wasn't tall back then. Oh, yeah. I was taller a little later in. in high school. Got it. And again, the features weren't there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's I was not just, I was just a girl with a dream. Uh, <laughs> Same. Nothing else. Yeah. Same. I just said, yeah. I just had a mouth and a dream. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, so did some of those ended up getting like some audition. I got an agent. I got some auditions. I, I did a couple commercials when we were in the Atlanta area and then everything came crashing down. And when I was 12 years old and my mom got a job in South Georgia and we had to move to the middle of nowhere where there was one red light. Okay. And I was coming from like the last few years of like, literally my parents would like take turns, taking off work to take me to auditions. Okay. Like things were happening. We literally were considering like that year, my mom was considering sending me off to one of those, like 
houses for like kid actors, like in LA where they ship you off and there's like a lady, like a madam. I don't know what you call that. There's just like a house mom uh-huh. and she, she, you work on acting together and she gets you all the kids in the house around to auditions. Like, I don't know. I don't know what it looked yeah. like. Um, yeah. but I, we literally were this close. I mean, we were so close to filling out that paperwork and shipping me off. Then we moved to middle of nowhere. All right. Nothing, no agents, nothing. The, the closest thing to a, a play was, a like the Christmas pageant at the churches. That's it. Yeah. So that's how pageants started. My school okay. had a pageant. I said, <laughs> okay, there's a chance for me to get on a stage. I got to do it. I got to do something. I signed up. Didn't know what the hell I was doing. My mom didn't know what the hell we were doing. We knew nothing about pageants. And I learned how to like walk. Like I learned how to do the pageant walk at practice. Cause they made us go to practice. Like we had like mm-hmm. five or six practices before. And I would watch the girls who've done this a thousand times who've been doing it since they were like fetuses. And I was like, huh? Okay. And I befriended one of the girls and I was new at school. And everybody hated me. And I befriended one of the girls and I was like, show me, show me what you're doing. And she stood next to me. It was nice enough to be like, here's a T stand. Here's a step pivot step. Here's a this, 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 here's how you do all this. You keep your head over your shoulder. You do blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, bitch. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. We rented a dress, um, from a place. I look like a fucking cupcake. We, we curled my hair with ringlets, like ringlets, like a, like a creepy, like a ghost child from like the 1700s. Like that's what I look like. Uh-huh. And I entered the pageant and I won. Wow. And I beat everybody. First and pageant. First pageant. Wow. Oh, <laughs> oh sorry about it. Beat that girl who helped me at the <laughs> practice and everything. And I was like, oh, sorry. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> but see, what they don't know is after practice, I was going home. My mom would be like, all right, practice what you were doing. And we cleared out all the shit out of the living room, like pushed everything over. And she's like, okay, do it again. Nope, go back, do it again. That's not how Tina's doing it. Do it again. And I'd be like, all right. We were like a team, man. Cause I yeah. love that shit. It wasn't like, it wasn't like creepy stage mom. Like people see with like kid pageants. Mm-hmm. Like she wasn't like doing it. I'm like, I don't want it. Like I wanted to do it as much as yeah. she wanted me to do it. Mm-hmm. And it was something to like, look forward to. And then I just, it's kind of like stand up. Like once you, once I did it once I couldn't stop. And I was like, where do I sign up for another one? How do I do this again? And I signed up for everything that I could get into like everywhere that I was eligible. And then I did it until I got into like the Miss America system. Like when you get old enough to start doing that stuff and the rest is history. Like I did that stuff until I, uh, w- until I aged out completely. And I paid for most of my college doing it. Went to Miss Georgia four times. Was never Miss Georgia, but I made it there four different titles, made it to Miss Georgia USA four times. So competed in both the systems for years. And then wow. I got cellulite and had to stop. <laughs> So. <laughs> and so practice is really what it, what it was. hundred percent. I loved it. And I loved just performing like, and, and the further along you get in pageants, the cool thing about starting when I was 13 is that that was the age group that like talent started being a part of pageants, but like, I didn't get up to pageants with talent until I was like 16. So in between I would, I would enter the ones that had like a speech competition or like something additional to just walking around in a dress. I was like, what else can I do? Yeah. I loved it. I loved, yeah. love, love the challenge of like, you know, write a speech and do this or do a monologue about blah, 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 or whatever. I love the questions once you started getting the interviews and all that shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm highly, highly competitive and <laughs> I love being on stage and I never had a problem being up in front of people. So it just fed 
all that ego yeah. shit for me. And yeah. I was in a new town and I hated it. And the kids hated me for a long time. Um, cause I was new. And that you know, kind of gives you some freedom. Uh, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. You get to kind of make who you are, who you want. It was my own thing guys. I could focus on. Like, cause I, you know, I wasn't, like I said, like I wasn't making a ton of friends or anything yet. And, uh, yeah, it just gave me something to like, look forward to and, um, get better at. Yeah, man. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about the talent portion of the pageant mm-hmm. because I, I like the idea of just turning something on his head and really making it your own thing. And so yeah. you did comedy. I did. Right? I didn't do stand up comedy, but okay. I did comedic monologues. Like if I would have known about stand up, I knew about stand up. Like I knew watch, you know, I watched it all the time, obsessively watched when Comedy Central became a thing. Like I remember being like, holy shit, I've been waiting my whole life for this, like, you know, my whole mm-hmm. 10 years of life for this. <laughs> and um, I remember being obsessed with Comedy Central and obsessed with stand ups. And my mom would let me watch when HBO would do like stand up stuff and all that. But that seemed like such a far away world that was like famous people, you know, like that's yeah. like, like you're watching like Jerry Seinfeld and Ellen DeGeneres and like all these like people that were, you know, and I'm like, Oh, that's a, that's a famous person. That's a, that's a thing for people who have like sitcoms. Like that's not, you don't get to do that. If I would have known that it was an option for me as a teenager to like learn and do stand up, Holy shit, man, my life would have been so different. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, um, so I did comedic monologues. So I just did funny pieces from plays. So we just ordered a bunch of books like um, playbook. I still have most of all of them on my shelf right there that my mom oh. ordered at the time, like from the the internet. And uh, we ordered all those books and then would just sort through until I found something that was funny that I liked that was appropriate for like families. Yeah. Did yeah. anybody else do comedy stuff? Handful comedy of people, handful okay. of people, not much people. Most of the time people did monologues. It was, they were, they would do dramatic monologues. Nobody yeah. was doing comedy monologues. Uh, it was very rare that you ever saw it. Everybody was like singing opera and doing, you know, the classical shit. They all did classical stuff, piano, mm-hmm. ballet, yeah. baton twirling, like that kind of stuff. And then I was like, I don't want to, I mean, I could dance. Like I took dance classes and stuff. Like I could do that. But I was like, I don't want to do a shitty jazz dance when I can like be funny. Yeah. Cause I'd yeah. much rather, I'd rather use my, my face and my hands and, you know, run around on stage and costumes and stuff. And I had a blast and Georgia, because it was a competitive state, they only wanted classical talents, even though I was great. I nailed interview. I was mm-hmm. great in every other competition, evening gown, on stage questions, swimsuit. I won, I won the swimsuit award at every single pageant I did almost, um, won the interview award most of the times. And then I'd be like a runner up because they didn't like my talent. They're like, it's just not competitive enough for the national. And I would go in the interviews, they would ask me, they'd be like, well, you're doing like acting for your talent. Like, do it, why, why do you not? And I would be like, well, that's going to be my career. Yeah. That's what I would say. I'd say, that's my career. Like that, I want to be an actor and a comedian when I grow up. And I stood by that the entire time I, I did the system uh, where talent was required. I stood by that the entire, I was like, this is a job. I love that. I love that you stuck with your guns and, yeah. uh, you know, even if it wasn't widely accepted, even if it didn't, it wasn't <laughs> right. But yeah, like a Miss America doing stand up as a talent, like, yeah, y- you wouldn't, you wouldn't see that. Uh, so I, I want to go back to your family. There was something I read where you said my family always overcame any sort of hardships with comedy. Yeah. So 
what did that look like? I know they were working, you know, multiple jobs yeah, or extra shifts. Years. Yeah. What did that look like with your family kind of using comedy through those hardships? Yeah, we, my parents are hilarious. Mm. Like they're so damn funny. And I was always so thankful that no matter how hard things were, no matter what we were going through, because I mean, we were, I mean, obviously my parents had me, they were teenagers, like they, they had nothing and neither one of their families supported them. I mean, especially early on, I mean, shit might, well, uh, RIP, but even like my grandma, like, like she, she was kind of mad. Like everybody was kind of mad about the whole situation. And they're just like, you're ruining your lives. What are y'all doing? You know? And I think like to teach them a lesson, my grandparents at one point, and this was only for a short amount of time, but they were like trying to charge for babysitting. to like babysit me to like teach them a lesson of like how hard life is out there. So, and then they came around, you know, everybody came around afterward and it was totally, you know, we all had good relationships with extended family later after they saw how hard my parents worked, but no matter what, like when we were in low rental housing, when we were in trailers, when we, when, like you said, my parents were working two jobs a piece, always, they still, we all still laughed. Like we never didn't laugh. There was never not laughter in the house. Even when things were hard, like we could go from like fighting to like making fun of each other and laughing like right after probably looked crazy. I mean, I'm sure. But like I had a, I had an ex-boyfriend who used to say, he's like, your family's like, He's like, I know y'all aren't Italian, but y'all act Italian. He's like, y'all, y'all laugh hard. You fight hard. You eat a lot. He's like, y'all act like Italians. And I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe we are. We're like Italian in our hearts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just my parents. It's, it's mainly because they're hilarious. They're just, they're yeah. super funny people naturally. And then we definitely like self-deprecation between became a big thing. Cause we would just like, we cut each other down and also cut ourselves down. And because you're always being picked on, you found a way to laugh at the, the things that you're bad at and whatever, you know, whatever your insecurities are. So we all, maybe that had a lot to do with like why I could handle rejection, like in acting and pageants and stand up. Yeah. Cause I got used to like, I'm like, I know exactly what you're gonna make fun of me for. So go, <laughs> go for it. Fucking go. I'm ready. I've heard it. My own parents said it to me. Go what you got. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I feel like I needed a little bit more of that in my childhood. Of like, really? Yeah, because I think it was kind of just like, love yourself, love yourself, mm. love yourself, love yourself, which is great. Sure. But, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. But it's also like, no, there are some, there's like, I don't have to take everything so seriously. You yes. know, like there, I can laugh about some of my goofy things that I do or, yeah, or yeah, insecurities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love now, that. And don't get me wrong. My mom is a, an absolute perfectionist and yeah, there was always the, even if things are not going perfectly or not going well, or we don't have any money, we're never going to look like it or act like it. When we leave this house, we are, you know, we are stage ready. Like yeah. we are, you yeah. know, so I think pageants were a really easy thing for us to get into and get excited about because it's all about you know, how you carry yourself mm -hmm. and you're always like carrying yourself better than, you know, what's going on at home. And so my mom, you know, was always making sure we, we were constantly, you know, we were, we were, we were always in matching clean clothes. We were always, you know, we, we spoke a certain way. My mom would count our ums and likes Ooh. in the car. She, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you'd say, um, and she'd be like, what'd you say? I'm like, oh, God. Uh, 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 that's one. 
Yeah. My mom so, was yeah. an English teacher and oh teacher, shit. So. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of got that too. Oh yeah. I don't yeah, know yeah, about yeah. the counting, but yeah. Oh, mama would count them. Oh, yeah. it was bad. It was bad. But anyway, so, yeah. So there was that level too. I mean, it wasn't like yeah. all like, I ah, just got there and who gives a shit? It was yeah. never that. Yeah. Never that. But at least at home, we always, I mean, we still, to this day, we all just like make fun of each other yeah. all the time. Yeah. I love that. And what did your parents teach you? Like, what, what do you think is one lesson that they taught you during those times when they were just working really hard and supporting you? That no one else is going to save you. You have to save yourself. You have to take care of yourself first. And they would use that. They showed me that in their life, you know, like, especially because early on they did, they had no help. So yeah they had to help themselves. There was no one else was going to come to their rescue. No one was going to come to our rescue, but that was especially true. And especially, uh, they reminded me and my little sister constantly that like, like when it came to relationships, they're like, don't expect a man to take care of you one day. Don't expect like you take care of yourself first. And then anybody who comes into your life is lucky to be in your life with you, yeah. but you be self-sufficient first. Yeah. So that for sure. I mean, and that's, and yeah. that's just something too, that we just as a family took pride in. And I learned to take a lot of pride in doing things on my own. And now, and I, and, and for a long time, and probably still today, it's still a defense mechanism of mine to not ever look or seem dumb or like that. I don't know something or know how to do something. I never want to be like, I don't know. Oh, how do I, how do I change a tire? Oh, how do I, <laughs> Uh, like if there's something I want to do, I figure out how the hell to do it. And I, I would rather do it and be a know-it-all and annoying about it than to sit around and go, Oh, help me. Somebody help me. And that came from them. Like I was the second I could reach like an ironing board, I was ironing my clothes. Mm -hmm. I like begged my parents for like a a curling iron for my hair. So I could like, I was curling my bangs in like fourth grade, like plugging in my little Vidal Sassoon, fucking curling iron. I'm in the mirror, like curling my bangs. I'm figuring out how to do everything. I want to do it. I want it. I wanted to be grown up from the time I was a kid. Yeah. I want to cook. I want to do everything. I wouldn't know how to use a curling iron right now. In my <laughs> life. <laughs> There's no way. Well, you got to follow <laughs> your passions. Okay? Exactly. exactly. Curling my hair was and is still a passion of mine. Yeah. So yeah. I can see different, okay. different priorities. Okay. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to stand up. I read that your first time being booked was a surprise. Yeah, essentially. I mean, it was, yeah. And then the first time I was on stage, I was booked. It wasn't like, I didn't like sign up for an open mic or do a show up, go up. I what a, happened? I, I was bartending. Well, I was bartending at the time. I bartended even through like starting stand up for years. I bartended in total like 12 years. But anyway, I was at a restaurant in Buckhead working, had a regular who loved stand up. We got to talking because. Well, the, the reason we started talking about stand up to begin with was because he pulled out his wallet the first time I waited on him and his wallet was so weird. It was, um, it was Mitch Hedberg was on his wallet. And I was like, how the hell do you have a Mitch Hedberg wallet? <laughs> I was like, that's so weird and random. Yeah. And, uh, he goes, you know, who Mitch Hedberg, I was like, of course I know who Mitch Hedberg is. I love Mitch Hedberg. I remember crying when he died and I was yeah. not even in stand up. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. And he's like, I got it off Etsy or some shit. I don't know. He was just a super spunky guy and uh, it was so nice. And we talked stand up all the time. And he's like, I love stand up. I love it. And I was, I was like, yeah, me too, man. I've always dreamed about doing it one day. You know, one day when I'm not working 17 hour days. Next thing I know, he started running 
open mics or shows. It was one or the other. He was doing both. And he still is like really into production. He does like DJing. He does like, he DJ stops and helps put on events. And he didn't stick to stand up, but for a while he just like running shows and he was a really good showrunner. He would find venues. He would have everything set up to the nines. Like this is before everybody was filming their shows. He filmed yeah. every single show. He provided you tapes of your show. Like, you know, just all the stuff that like, it was very high quality shows. He had the posters and all that. Not everybody was doing that at the time. And long story short, he came in. He's like, you got to do stay. I had just gotten out of a relationship. I had broken up with my ex of six years and I was just ready for a change. I was ready to do something different. And it just all happened at the right time. He's like, okay, you've been talking about, we've been talking about this for years. When I come into the bar, he's like, I've signed you up for a show. You're going to 10 minutes on my show. And I was like, I'm going to who, what, who, where, how? <laughs> And he's like, I took one of your headshots off the internet, like one of my acting headshots. And he's like, I took one of your headshots and I put it on the poster. Uh, so you can't get out of it now. <laughs> and I was like, damn you, Richie. Wow. Damn you. And I did it. I had like three months to prepare. So of course I wrote right. all my jokes, you know, two days before. And, <laughs> and then I did. And I did it. I did like eight and a half minutes. Wow. Okay. First time. Okay. Yeah. Didn't make it to 10, but I made it to eight and a half. And so I watched you, it back and it was really, it was kind of good actually. Yeah. I had jokes. Like I wrote jokes. I wrote jokes. Like I had like three yeah. examples and like yeah. a misdirect and like all this shit. Like it was good. Wow. I, that's, I mean, awesome. First show as a book yeah. show. That's scary. But yeah. also let's, let's put it in this perspective. I was 28 the first time I ever did stand up. Yeah. So I had lived a life. I had just got, I had, I've just told yeah. you about most of my upbringing, like shit. Yeah. I'd already I feel like I had lived four people's lives at the time that I was already 28 and already made it through. I was already aged out of the whole pageant system. Had already been, that was through that whole time in my life, through my failed acting, short-lived acting career, you know, through a terrible six-year relationship, through bartending since I was 18. Like I'd already been, been there, done that. Like the la nothing was scary about standup. Yeah. You say you found your voice through comedy. Mm-hmm. Were you ever scared to use your voice? What was it like kind of before comedy? Was there ever a time that you were scared to say something or scared to stand up for yourself? Yeah. So how for do sure. you, so for sure, because yeah. the biggest, the, the hardest thing to get over was the perceived perfection that you develop out of doing pageants for years. You've got to be a certain way, carry yourself a certain way say the right thing at the right time. Don't be caught not saying the right thing and don't embarrass yourself. Don't embarrass your title. When, once you have a title, you hold that title for an entire year and you speak the entire year. So you do public speaking the entire time. So like my last year in the Miss America system, I was Miss Cobb County, which was the largest scholarship pageant in the state. So it was huge deal that I got that took me four times to get it. I got that title. It was better than ever, even like being a state title holder. Like it was amazing. They're so supportive. I did 98 speaking engagements that year while I was in school, while I was working. Mm. <laughs> um, so you get really used to standing in front of people and, mm. you know, you got to talk about your platform. And my platform is the multiple sclerosis society, the national multiple sclerosis society. I was a keynote speaker at a few of their events, did a lot of charity stuff, spoke at a, tons of civic organizations, schools, all that. So I was doing that constantly. Right. And you, you have a crown on your head. You literally go to these events with crowns on your head. And so people are looking at you 
and they're expecting a certain thing and you, you have to, you're a representative and everything's weighing on you because you've got a lot of people who've put time, money, and energy into you at that point. And so you can't just be yourself. Now off stage, I was mm-hmm. myself, right? I love to party. And I mean, you know, <laughs> yes. you met me at Johnny's hideaway. Oh, you yeah. see how, yeah, I, uh, I've never met a dance floor. I didn't like, um, <laughs> I like, a, I like a drink or two. I like, I like to let loose. Okay. I like yeah. to have fun. And I did that. Like at 21, I started having a couple drinks and going out and partying and dancing with all my girlfriends. And so I was always myself off stage, but I was always extremely wary of who's taking pictures, where are they posting it? you know, what's being said about me. You can't have a bad reputation. You don't want to like tell the full truth. You want to tell just enough of the truth that you need to, you want to tell your story, but not all the details of your story. You need to tell the rose colored glasses parts of your story and just highlight the best parts of you, which, you know, nothing wrong with that. It's all, a lot of people like to keep a private life and that's cool. It was very hard to transition between you are this curated version of yourself on stage than to stand up where you are your real self and you are your rawest, most vulnerable real self. Because if you don't show vulnerabilities and you don't show that you've been through some shit to an audience, they're not going to relate to you. And they're going to think certain things of you right out of the gate. And you're not going to feel, I don't know, relatability is so important in stand up because when you're watching a stand up comedian, you're either, you either just like their jokes and they've got really good observational jokes, or they're telling you real parts of themselves that you see yourself in. And that's why you can laugh because you're like, me too, me too. Yeah. And yeah. that's what was hard for me. That, that transition took a while. And it took a while too for me to get out of the habit of like sounding like a stand up comedian. And here is where the joke goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now laugh. Okay. Yeah. Here's the next joke. All right. To where nowadays I'm just bleh, when I get on yeah. stage in a good way, yeah. I think. I mean, I hope. Yeah, yeah it feels like conversation. It should be yeah. conversational. And I want to know more about that transition because I think nowadays with social media, we want to be authentic and mm-hmm. raw and we want to be out there. And, you know, you talk about sex in your stand-up sets. And I feel like that's something you wouldn't talk about in a pageant setting. <laughs> No, God, no, <laughs> no. What are you I didn't do my about? research, but you know, girl, no. Uh, so how did no. you make that? You had to be virginal, right? You had to be perfect <laughs> in a way. Sexless, but be sexy. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a totally different world. But then once you get into stand up, it t- and it took me years to like get really personal and talk about really personal things or things like sex and all that. And I guess also being married for uh, April, it'll be four years since I've been married. Being married will also make things a lot easier to kind of just talk about. Cause yeah. it's not, it's not like I'm on stage trying to pick anybody up from the audience. So I'm not yeah. like holding back, you know what I mean? So it doesn't, yeah. I'm not, I don't have to act like I'm available or act like I'm a catch to anybody. Yeah. Which makes it so much that takes off, which, you know, I mean, that's if you're single, like you're always like, that's always a part of what you're like, you want to be professional and you want to be this and you want to be that, but you also like want to be likable and you want people to want you and like you and be interested (laughs) in you and see something, you know, whatever. And it's like, once that's gone, once you don't have that anymore, it's like, you don't give a fuck. It's just so much easier to just talk about life. Okay. I don't know. Get married. Get married. Get married. Just You can just... Do it, do it just for comedy. Just do it for comedy. For comedy. (laughs) But once you like, you lose that whole, like that thing that we have when we're just like, you know, too vulnerable, well, vulnerable in a way of like, 
I don't know, I could get a job from this. I could get a relationship from this. I could get all kinds of things. When you remove a couple of those layers and you're just yeah. like, you're just doing it because you want to entertain people, makes things so much easier. Yeah, there are those layers that it's like, okay, well, I don't want to offend anybody. But right. also, like with the jobs, because a lot of comedians have these corporate gigs that they go to, right? Mm-hmm. And saying cuss words or talking about sex is not the material that they want. So is that... I mean, is that something uh, it sometimes is like okay. I've done, I've done a ton of corporate gigs and yeah. I always ask, I'm like, is that when you say clean, when you say corporate clean, do you, is it content or language or both or which one is more important? And they go, Oh, some language is okay. Like I'll ask some people and they'll like ass and damn is totally fine. Mm-hmm. You know, you can hell, you can say stuff like that. Sometimes even you can say, bitch, what they really mean is they don't want graphic stuff. Yeah. Yep, yep. They don't want graphic content, but yeah, you could totally be funny if you're, yeah. and you can talk about stuff. I think I did at, at a corporate gig recently. I did one of the, uh, the, my husband coming up to me with his boner and thinking that that's seduction. Oh, right. And yeah. I, that there's a whole place was husbands and wives Yeah, for the most part. Cause it was like a, it was a very blue collar like company and it was a lot of hardworking guys, a lot of truckers there. And, um, so it was like the perfect, and they're bringing their, their wives and spouses and whatever for the, um, their like big Christmas thing. So it was corporate, but it was like, I definitely needed to do relationship material because that's what they liked. And that's what they laughed about. And I talked to the people who booked me about that and they were totally fine with it. Yeah. What was one challenge you remember in stand up that you were very proud of overcoming? It's so weird because I've been doing it for so long. It feels like forever now. I mean, I'm on my 10 years in stand-up, and I've done, I've tried to stop counting after like uh, easily over a thousand plus shows, if not way more than that. I used to count and I was averaging somewhere around 200 and something shows a year for like the first, yeah. So that's easily, I'm probably easily around like 2000 shows, let's just say, I don't know. So it's really hard to like pinpoint moments like that, but it, and a lot of stuff does, it's like over time and it's not just like a, a one-time mm-hmm. thing, but I think helping break the stereotype in Atlanta, especially, and I can mainly speak for the Atlanta comedy scene because when I first started and you know, not, uh, not to hate on these dudes, but a lot of the showrunners at the time were mostly men and they were very open about, nope, we've already got a woman on this lineup. They said that all that I heard that constantly. And, or, you know, we can't have two, if there were two women, you were lucky. That's almost an all women show. If you got two, <laughs> two out of 10, <laughs> holy shit. That's almost too many women. That's too, too many for them. Yeah. And they would never put us back to back. All right. You couldn't have a woman back to back because God forbid the audience will leave. (laughs) So it was just such a weird thing. But to go from that, I guess when I started, I'm going to just say, because there were a lot of times I, I had no problem being booked for, for a while. And I'll, I'll be honest with that. I I didn't struggle trying to get booked when I first started stand up. Like I said, I was like already established as a performer and a public speaker and all that. So once I came on the scene, people were like, oh, holy shit. I mean, they were excited to have a woman that was doing stand-up, that was sticking to it, that enjoyed it. And I was a bringer. I brought a lot of people to shows for a while. Not anymore, but I used to. And <laughs> wear out those welcomes real soon, um, <laughs> as we all know. But anyway, uh, so everybody was like, oh yeah, cool. Let's get a woman on our lineup. We'll book her. So I got a lot of those bookings, but unfortunately it was the 
we need a woman on the lineup bookings. Yeah. Hey, you know, whatever. But so I never really had a problem getting booked, but I did see how tough it was for other people who would start. I saw a lot of women start comedy and not stick with it. They would show, show up. And then I heard, I, w- I remember being in different scenes. I was in, oh, I don't even remember what town, it doesn't matter because it could be any, any town, but I was somewhere in another, another stand-up scene in another city. And I was sitting there talking to these guys and I said something about, yeah, not a lot of women or whatever. And they go, well, we would love to have more women, but they start and we can't keep, we can't keep them. You know, I'll reach out. And one guy was like, you know, I'll reach out to him and be like, you should come back and invite him. And I was like, maybe that's it. Maybe that's why, maybe you're being too much. Maybe you're too aggressive. Like, I don't, you're making them uncomfortable. And, and then all these guys are like, yeah, it's just, there's women just don't stick to comedy. And I'm like, but we would, if it was welcoming. Right. And if dudes weren't sending us dick pics the second we started. Yeah. And I lucked up too when I started stand-up. I met I met my now husband pretty soon after and he was a working stand-up comedian. At the time, he'd been doing it for like 12 years when he's when I met him. So he was well known and I was and I was openly dating him pretty like six months into me starting stand-up. And so people left me alone. So I didn't really have to worry about that until I would go to other scenes. So I really wasn't bothered in that way. That was great. Um, and I also have probably have this like air of please don't hit on me. Um, I guess I don't, I don't know. People just don't, they don't, no one hits on me. And it, I never, I'm like, I, I, I know I'm married, but somebody please hit on me. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that was, that was good. So I didn't have that, but I watched it happen to other people. And then I would yeah. hear other, other male comedians just be like, Oh, we don't know what it is. And I'm like, it's y'all. It's the yeah. environment y'all create. You do this one woman a show shit. Y'all, too many of y'all hit on them. Too many of y'all yeah. are weirdly aggressive. Too many of y'all say, oh, I don't get that joke. There's just so much negativity yeah. towards women in comedy. And then I would do shows and the half the damn audience would come up afterward. And it's just like such a bizarre culture of people coming up going, we don't really like women, but you're funny. <laughs> and almost every woman I know who does stand up has heard that yeah. recently. And I'm like, what is that shit? If y'all were saying that to every single one of us, then y'all, Louie must be funny, right? If every single time you see a woman comedian, you, what is that? Why do people have in their heads that women aren't funny? There's so many funny women. Like, it's crazy. So I guess to answer your question, to go back, I think the thing that I had to overcome was, fuck it, let me help other women do this. And when I started my class, I very strategically wanted it to be an all women's class. And I genuinely did and still do want those women to succeed. And I was like, you know what? I've earned so much at this point, not a ton, but you know, enough that I'm comfortable in my self and I'm confident in my abilities and what I've earned. I don't care if I create competition. I realize that's what's going to happen. I'm okay with that. And I want like a rising tide raises all ships, right? Like I want us all to do well and, and it just felt good to be able to take the stuff that I learned and share it with other people and then to watch all of them, like so many of those comics over the last four years go on to like run shows and earn all sorts of things, whether it be in stand-up or just stand-up adjacent or entertainment-wise, like, holy shit, it's it's the coolest little club that I started. And I think that's the biggest challenge was like letting go of, you know what, it's okay. Like I can, there could be a thousand more women in comedy and I don't care if any of the guys are pissed off about it. I truly don't. I truly don't give a shit if people are talking about me behind my back because I'm a teacher and I do stand up. So many people talk shit about me. Because you were a teacher. Mm-hmm. And whatever. I mean, at this point, it's just like, 
I'm still working. I'm still yeah. working comics. So it doesn't hurt my feelings right. at all. It did, but it doesn't anymore. Yeah. I love that. Cause I, I feel like I've also kind of struggled with that idea of, I have a laughter workshop that I started in this year. And so mm-hmm. I'm teaching people how to use laughter and mindfulness to mm-hmm. improve their lives. And, and it's just like, Oh, I'm teaching something. It's uncomfortable when you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I want to be this entertainer, but then I'm yeah. teaching something like it's, it's a struggle, I think with people and with creators these days, that's kind of sometimes what can pay your bills, you know, yeah. so, you don't, so you don't have to work. For yeah. You gotta find, job. guess what? I would, I don't give a shit. Somebody can, they can talk about me all day long, but I'm totally fine with this. This is just a way, another way that I found how to succeed in the entertainment industry. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, no right. one would get mad if I got a writing job. They wouldn't be like, oh, you sold out from being a stand-up because now you write. It's like, well, no, now I help people. I'm I'm essentially being a freelance consultant. If you really think about it, for all these other people who are halfway interested in stand-up, I am helping them curate their own words and they are hiring me for coaching to put this in a certain order and perform a thing. How is that any different than a show hiring me to, to punch up their scripts. These are people hiring me and I'm just mm-hmm. happening, happening to teach them at the same time because it's easier that way. I can't teach everybody individually. So right. what's wrong with being hired to do consulting? No one would talk shit about me if I did it the other ways. Mm-hmm. No one said anything when I was doing punch-ups. No one said anything when, uh, you know, when, when people, huge comics hire unknown comics to help them write jokes all the time. How is that any different than what I'm doing as a teacher? doesn't make me less talented. Right. It's another way that I found out how to, how to like survive in this business. So I'm not having to work behind a desk. Yeah. I don't know. Find the ways. Well, I love it. That's a great transition though, because I, I want to talk a moment about your class. You, you kind of show in your class that everybody can be a comedian, you know, students, yeah. professionals, comedians, or, you know, at least till five to 14 minutes of jokes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, um, because yeah. you have, you have students write down all this stuff about their life and then craft jokes around that. So mm-hmm. is that what you made it for, for just really anybody to do stand up at first, or did you make it towards comedians or how did, how did that start? Here's my philosophy on that. If you sign up for a stand up comedy class, you think you could be a stand up comedian. So I don't actively go try to find, well, anybody for the class. I don't actively go out and, and, tell people to take my class unless they're interested in it. Like if they're yeah. interested in stand up or they're new to Atlanta, like I'm pretty sure I talked to you yeah. at, with, I met you at the brewery. Mm-hmm. I was like, Hey, if you want, since you're new back to Atlanta or whatever, like if you want to do this, if it's something you're into and blah, 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 it's a great way to meet people and network. Like I'll do that. If I know people are like into yeah. stand up, but other than that, I'm not like trying to find people who are off the street and have no interest. And I'm like, I can turn anybody into a stand-up comedian. <laughs> this is a thing that I saw that a class in Atlanta says, and mm. they say, you give me money, I'll make you funny. Mm. Oh boy. So that is, that is not my philosophy. My philosophy yeah. is I put it out there. I say what I do. I, I say what you're going to get when you sign up. And if, uh, if you sign up for it, you want to do stand-up. You see your, you think you're funny you know, you're funny secretly or outwardly. You are funny. Somebody has said to you, you should do stand up, or you secretly watch and listen to stand up all the time. And it is your passion, but you don't know how to do it. Or you've tried it once and then you gave up and you really need to push to do it again. 
or you've been doing it and you're not getting far as far as you'd like, and you really need to refresh yourself. I just assume that everybody who signs up is, it fits into one of those categories. So I'm not thinking that anybody that I'm going to like take a terrified, you know, civilian off the street and be like, all right, let's do this. And you really shape the class to like, Hey, this is how you get booked. You know, yeah. this is what stage time will look like or et cetera. So that's why I do that business of comedy night. That's so yeah. important. Cause I don't want anybody to leave the class and then, well, it's two reasons. It's one laziness. Cause I don't want to answer a thousand questions afterward. And, and after a while, like after so many graduates, I tried to count recently it was 370 or 380 something graduates oh. so far. Yeah. Like I just, I don't want to have to answer a million questions from people after they leave. So I want them to get all the info they need and know, okay, once you're out here, fly a little bird. If it's something you want to do, go for it. I've given you all the tools. I mean, I had to figure this shit out on my own. Granted, yes, I was dating Jared, but like he wasn't that helpful. I mean, he was helpful at like, he'd introduce me to people, but he wasn't trying to like, he's like, you got to learn this shit. He's like, I had to learn this shit on my own. You got to learn this shit on your own. It's tough. You're by yourself. No matter who you're opening for working with, who, you know, you are ultimately by yourself. You're by yourself on stage. You are by yourself in this world, especially in this, in this business. It all goes back to like fend for your damn self and figure out how to take care of yourself. No one's going to save you. Right. So that's kind of how I want to give everybody everything. And if it's, if they've gone through the six weeks and they're still hungry, and they still want to do it. Hell yeah. But I like to give them all the info too. So they don't leave and go, Oh my God, I'm going to be so famous. Maybe, but maybe not <laughs> most likely right. not, but you can't have a career in it. If, mm-hmm. if that's something you want to keep doing. Yeah. What do you do on the hard days on the hard days when you don't want to perform, when you don't want to write, I know maybe that that doesn't come up as often anymore, but did, did those come up as you were girl, you this know, whole pandemic, I thought I've been the most depressed I'd ever been in my entire life. What are yep. you talking about? <laughs> I thought my whole life was over for 2020 hit. Mm. That was going to yeah. be my year, dude. I, I'm yeah. sure it's, everyone says that, but I truly meant it. I truly yeah. believed it. I had so many things lined up for 2020 big, big things. And Oh boy. When all that got canceled, everything kept getting moved and then this and then shifted and then got further and further away and reality got further and further. Like reality started hitting harder and harder and harder, which is shit. How long is this going to last? What if things don't go back to normal? Everything about how I make money relies on gathered people in a, in a building. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I, I was, I was screwed. And I, I got really, really, really deeply depressed. And I can, I can be completely honest with you right now and say, I'm not totally out of that at all. Yeah. I just been, I think I've done like 10 shows in the last like two weeks, finally again. But prior to that, like between, cause then like after 2020, then everything shut down again, like at the beginning of 2021 or whatever that was like pre-vaccines and stuff when shit was still shutting down. And then I lost my grandma suddenly. And then my dad got really sick and he's still dealing with all that. So between personal stuff and just career stuff, feeling like it's over, I was looking into like, and I still am, I mean, this is still like not gone, but I was looking into like getting a real estate license. So I wish I had a better answer for what to do when it's hard, because what I did is just, I will just shut off. Like when I'm really, when I'm, when I'm really deep in it, I'm a, uh, a shut off completely person. So I will just hibernate, disappear from the world, not, you know, and then just jealousy scroll online. Yeah. That was really, 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 really hard for me. I'm gonna be completely honest. And 
might as well just be honest because a part of succeeding in this business, a business where there's so much rejection, it's so easy to compare yourself to other people. And then there's a global pandemic. Things are hard. Things aren't easy. Things aren't going to go back hundred percent to normal anytime soon. And I, I got on a Lexapro. That's what I got on in 2021. I got to the point where I realized this isn't something I can handle on my own. I had been too depressed for too long and I needed something to clear my head and to make me less angry. And so, yeah, I got on meds and I don't, I have no problem admitting that I needed that. And now uh, that helped a lot Yeah, through the rough times, being able to pop a little pill in the morning that helps get my, my serotonin levels the way they need to be, because clearly I couldn't handle it on my own. And then making sure that I, you know, even the days where I couldn't work out, cause obviously like working out and trying to eat a little healthier and all that will always help you feel better. The days you can't, you need a little help. You can't always yeah. handle things by yourself, but I make sure that I at least get like some sunshine on my face. Even if I just stand outside, just 10, I heard somebody say it on like a podcast once or read or whatever, but just like grounding yourself, putting your bare feet on the ground, just sitting in the sunlight, just getting that like vitamin D directly from the source and then taking a little extra vitamin D too, just to like get the head right. That that's helpful. That's helpful. Yeah. Uh, another friend of mine who deals with depression, who's a stand-up comedian and writer, and he's been doing it for years and years. I think we've been doing it for about the same time. We're still good friends. He and I were talking one time and he said, if you just can't do anything, he's like, if you're, you cannot get off the couch, you cannot, or you're feeling really angry or what, just walk, yeah. just walk, just walk, just moving your body forward. He said, I get up and I force myself to go on a walk. And I'm like, that's, that's genius. Cause that's not like go to the gym. Cause that's even 10 times harder when you're not mentally feeling great. So just physically walking, um, moving, if you can, obviously, you know, just physically walking, getting a little sunlight, those little things are helpful on those days. And then it kind of resets. And then you're like, Oh, maybe I can feel funny. Maybe I can look at content online without it making me beat myself up. Maybe it'll be inspiring, you know? So I'm going to be honest, like things have not been easy, you know, but just having another thing to look forward to is very helpful too. So I'm always still trying, you know, I'm always still putting myself out there and maybe just updating your website or putting a picture you're proud of on Instagram. Even if you can't make a whole reel or video, if it's not coming to you, just putting something out there just to get some likes and some comments and know that you're not alone and know that you're not forgotten about is very helpful. Sometimes you just need to fucking stand in the sunlight, turn your phone off for a minute. Okay. So what is something that you're doing these days to level up, to push yourself to get better at? So I am all those things I just said, that's all very helpful. And I have been sticking to that and doing that. I changed some things about the way I was eating a few weeks ago, and that's been helping a lot. There's a really great book. I'll plug it. it has nothing to do with comedy at all, but just like health in general. Uh, Danica Patrick, the race car driver, mm-hmm. she's got a book called Pretty Intense, and it's a 90 day workout, food regimen, mental, you know, pump yourself up book. Yeah. And even if you just do a couple of the things that are in there, it's very helpful. Taking out some certain foods out of my diet, that's been great. So I've been focusing on that because I need some sort of control and discipline, like in, in the world where I have literally built my whole life around not having a schedule and a routine. And I love, I love spontaneity and, and, and I love not having to do the exact same thing every single day. But then there is a part of me that's like, shit, maybe I need a little bit more discipline and that's something I'm lacking. And that's maybe why I'm not feeling so great on some days. So trying to focus on my food, definitely not starving myself. I'm eating a lot, and but eating the right things a lot. So just trying to make sure I'm healthy on the inside to the outside. 
And then uh, I've got a really cool job I just took. So also kind of comedy related. I got it because I'm a stand-up comedian, but I'm going to be a sideline reporter for a new arena football league called FCF. It's called fan controlled football. And uh, it's apparently a pretty big deal. They get like a million views per game. Like last season, they were getting pretty good views. It's on Twitch. It was on Twitch last year. And this year it's going to be on Twitch and two other streaming services. This is like, like, this is really cool. And um, Yeah. yeah, I went through a whole bunch of interviews and I just got, I just got the job last week. So for two and a half months, I'll be a sideline reporter for these, these jobs or for these games. Um, and that's a cool job that I took on. So I have been trying to, since that's going to, my schedule is going to change a lot with that for those two and a half months, I've been trying to book as many shows as I possibly can. And I'm also working towards, uh, recording my album this year. So that's the way I decided that I was going to level up is, uh, I've been doing comedy for 10 years, never recorded an album. And I was like, why? Yeah. So working towards that, making sure that my schedule's in order so I can get as much stage time as possible in between these games. And then just, you know, focusing on my health a little bit more so that I can be my best self on screen because these will all be filmed and everything. And I'm just, I'm yeah. super, super excited about that. So yeah. I've also been brushing up a lot on football. <laughs> so yeah, you know, you're yeah. never, you're never too old to like learn something new and I'm super jazzed about it. Apparently there's something about me they liked and yeah. I hope that I make them happy. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited about having a whole new group of people seeing me do something, you know, these aren't people who would normally like look me up or come to my shows or whatever. So maybe I'll get a new little fan base or something. I don't know. I'm excited. I love it. I could totally see you as a sideline reporter. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Thank you so much. I think it's the combo of the the pageants and the comedy life. It's all coming together. It is. Last question. Yes. What advice would you give to someone who who really has something to say, but they're hesitant to say it? Because I, I know with you, you've been so confident in your performance because you've been doing it for so long. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious, how can somebody believe in themselves? They have something to say. They're hesitant to say it. Anybody who is creating something so mm-hmm. artists in general. Okay. Just, yeah. Artists in yeah. general. I, the, the, and this is, this is w- one of the best pieces of advice I got early on before I ever even started stand up. Okay. When I would tell people that I want to do stand up, this one guy who's a stand up comedian who I happened to meet different guy than the guy who booked me. This is totally, this is, he just happened to be at the restaurant. He was talking stand up and I was like, are you talking about stand-up comedy? I'm telling you, I was like a creepy stand-up stalker before. And I had a table and it, things just kept coming into my life. And I was like, I've been thinking about it. He's like, if you're thinking about it, do it. Okay. So mm-hmm. number one, he was like, stop thinking about it. Just do it. And he said, get on stage. And I said, okay. And for some reason that one just that one line, get on stage, stuck with me more than any other advice, any more than like, even my friend who was like pumping me up and telling me to do stand up all the time and all that. Uh, I just needed to hear that one thing. And then what he did is he friended me on Facebook and he messaged me and all he said was get on stage. And that just stuck like that, that right there. I was like, shit, I do need to just stop thinking about it and just do it, just do it and do it without comparison, do it without hesitation, just do it, just try it. Right. And then the, my second piece of advice would be other than people who don't want to necessarily like get on stage and perform and all that is to, if you stay as true to your story as possible, 
it's going to be so much easier not to compare yourself to other people. Because I think comparison is the death of so much art because we think, well, we can't do this person's already made this. Why even, and if that was the case, like post Leonardo da Vinci or what, like, why would anybody ever invent anything else? Why would anyone ever paint another painting? Why would anyone make another song after Beethoven has existed? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And if we thought about it that way of like, oh, it's already out there. We can't do it. We'll never get anything done. And I'm only saying this from personal experience. I'm really trying to say this to myself, to be completely honest, because I have to remind myself that I have a different story to tell. Even if there are other women my exact age who look even similar to me, who are also married, who also might've done pageants, who are also, their, their story is still going to be different. Their take is going to be different. Their observations are going to be different. The way they speak is going to be different. Where they're from is going to be different. There's going to be something that is special and unique to me that someone else doesn't have. And that's the thing that keeps me going. And that there is an audience for everyone. There are billions of people on this planet. When we start thinking like, oh, well, people who like comedy, they already like Whitney Cummings, why are they going to like me? You know, there's already a Whitney Cummings. There's already a Amy Schumer or whomever. Like they're going to think, well, there, there's no room. Of course there's room for you. There are so many people right now on my street that I live on that probably don't know who any of those women are, but they might like me. There's an audience for all of us. So I guess that stay as true to your story as possible and remember that there, there is enough, there's enough people out there to like you. Whew, mic drop. Sorry, I don't know. Was that... <laughs> Comedy mic job. No, that's so true. I mean, we we can get caught in this thinking and comparison is just so big right now. Like you said, the comparison scrolling, like I find myself having to stop and give love to that person or support comments, support something to where I'm not judging. Yes. (laughs) It's so hard. I'm telling you, I deal with it constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Lexapro helps. Lexapro helps. That, that, I was at a real dark place where I was just like, why is this person getting this? Why is that person? Like every, the whole rest of the world shut down. Why is this person still making content or why is this person doing this? Or how, how is everybody thriving when it feels like I can't even get out of bed? Like how, you know, so sometimes you need a little extra help. Yeah. I, I, I love that. Thank you. That's the last question. Thank Yay. you so much. Uh, yeah, for, no problem. For speaking with me and being so open and vulnerable about your struggles. Yeah. I'd be uh, full of shit teaching my class if I didn't, if I didn't walk the walk, you know? Right. right. So it's important. Thanks Thank you boo. so much, Lace. No, I right. appreciate it. Talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If anything that Lace said today resonated with you, please share this episode on Instagram and tag me at Level Up with Shay and tag Lace at Lace Larrabee. All of her social media links are in the show notes, so go show her some love and support over there. Subscribe to Level Up with Shay wherever you get your podcasts. Again, thank you so much for being here. It's time to level up.